Welcome to I Don't Hate This. I'm Eric Wenzel. I'm Nina Lidoff. And I'm Eric Wenzel. <laughs> uh, and take it away, Nina. No, you were supposed to. Oh. I start them all the time. Oh. It's your turn, you guys. I'm Eric Wenzel. And this is I Don't Hate This. Uh-huh. The avant-gardist podcast. Uh-huh. Out <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so in case you haven't noticed. Oh, no. Now I caught your contagious. My br- No, your, you guys, your, it's uh, fucking hot. It's really hot today. And so it's too hot to be funny. No. Just kidding. I'm well, just... I, we promise we'll be as funny or not as, <laughs> as usual. I'm just like a wilted flower. Oh. I'm just like. All my all my thoughts, you know, when I'm usually like a well watered flower, <laughs> just like spewing pollen oh, of knowledge. Oh Jesus! Out this is like internet. a Georgia O'Keeffe retrospective. Uh huh. Uh-huh. As I said last time, Georgia O'Keeffe rules. So anyway, okay. yeah, I'm usually just like a fountain of pollen or knowledge, and like humor just like surrounds that. Like like like. Like a bee of humor picks up on the pollen of knowledge, but like today I'm no, just like don't know. a crushed flower petal. Do you uh, do you ever look through your and photos? A spider is sitting on me. It's horrifying. Do you ever look through your photos and say, "Did I take a picture of my cat's butt, or is he punking me?" <laughs> do you think he's developed opposable thumbs? Because this this showed up. I think that's probably not his butt. I don't know. It's it's, a, it's an orange. Not his it's a butthole. No, I didn't mean it like that. Just like there's just a furry round orange mass that showed up in my photos. Usually that's me trying to take a picture of the back of my own hair. Uh. <laughs> Never works how you plan. Uh, so after moving, uh, which we talked about in an earlier episode of this quadrilogy of trilogies minus one, <laughs> uh, Nina moved, and then. Uh, she got a haircut. And I'm basically a whole new woman. And a whole new That's what I understand when, uh, oh, I wish I remember the thing that this, I might be referencing. <laughs> Can you reference things you don't remember? Yeah. Oh my God. I heard something really fascinating recently. Go on. Um, so we're going to start plugs early and I'm going to talk about one of my favorite podcasts. Oh. Called International Waters. It's a quiz show. Oh, uh, I pits heard. British and Americans or sometimes Canadians versus Americans or sometimes Kiwis versus Americans or Aussies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, this was the British team that brought up uh, for some reason they were talking about Donald. Oh, they were talking about the presidential new candidates. And um, I guess Jeb Bush, Butch, Jeb Ugh. Butch, uh, uh, apparently Still defends his brother for invading Iraq. Ew. Um, and so the English were talking about that, and then they were, uh, and I'll try to do the, well, uh, we'll see. Don't I, do a don't. British accent. What, don't. is that offensive? Yes. Well, how is that offensive? They're British. It's offensive to my earbuds. Um, like buds, like a flower, like like a beautiful flower waiting to be opened. So if it's so hot and wilty, wouldn't you be extra moist? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like a cake. No, like I'm okay, so shriveled and and I don't know. Um, so anyway, the uh, the English gentleman, and this is what you're saying. Can you make a reference and not know it? It made me think of him. He said, 
Well, I love uh, Slavlov Zizek uh, for pointing out the fourth. The fourth. Did he say? The fourth dialectic of the uh, Rumsfeldian epistemology, which I was just like, wow, I love that a comedian from England can throw that out. <laughs> um, so, of course, he's talking about Zizek, the uh, pop culture philosopher of film theories and Rumsfeld and his famous. Uh, there are there are known knowns. There are unknown knowns. And there's no. There are unknown no. knowns. Unknown no- unknowns. But anyway, the the We're one getting it wrong the, and the missing upset. the missing one that Zizek pointed out is that there are unknown knowns, meaning <laughs> things that we know that we don't know. <laughs> That's and tr- that is totally true. That just made my day. So I, think I anyway. read a book by him once. Well, anyway, by that's Rumsfeld a great called <laughs> called if I did it. <laughs> Good one. Um, um, so Nina's going through a crisis, but we're here to help. Um, and that crisis is that's too hot out. <laughs> it's too. No, um, that's a great segue to talking about art words that are basically all gibberish. Right. <laughs> and it's summer school. This is part three of our summer school series where we take you back to school and school you in art. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, my long-awaited promised uh, thing, uh, which now has been apocryphally known as the Picasso paper, has been located. You should feel really proud of me for not making a second Picasso baby reference, which I know you hate. He took a picture of it. Oh, it got a B. Uh, Sucks so to suck. I just want to point out, you referred to a thing that, that didn't happen on the podcast, which I always get in trouble for. And second of all, you said the thing I said not to say, which is... That was the point of me saying okay. it. Okay. That was, that was a, an excuse for me to say it without saying it. But you said it, and then you referred to... <laughs> I'm not happy. Cackle, cackle. <sighs> all right, read us your Picasso paper <laughs> that you got a B on. Okay, so... This is from when you were a freshman... Freshman in on, high school. In high school? Yes. <gasps> so, so, in 1971... Just no. Kidding. Uh, no. Uh, so this is written on a single sheet of paper. This is actually it is it is a single loose leaf. Well, it's not loose leaf because in the in the like I don't know. This is like conceptual art photography. Like it's a sheet torn out of a notebook. So the it's spi- the spiral the spiral on the yeah, and it's like I photographed it on a plank of wood apparently, <laughs> and um. Written in pencil, and I would dare say it was probably a mechanical pencil. Um, Those were the best. I, I think also I'm really proud because it fit perfectly on a single sheet of paper on one side. Um, this was a short response to a reading we had to do. Um, so it wasn't necessarily paper in the sense that uh, you had time to edit it and rewrite it and whatever. I think you just did it once. Um, there are some edits in here. I can see that I, despite having written it in a pencil crossed out the and changed it to a uh so that was in the phrase uh instead of started the revolution in art it started a revolution right <laughs> the revolution is real because yeah only only uh no everyone that, knows that it that wasn't that picasso when, it was uh you know man sh- started the oh revolution. Yeah, yeah so anyway uh what if you say the revolution you're referring to that totlin tatlin uh vladimir the constructivist um so anyway uh Pablo Picasso was a Spanish painter. He was considered to be one of the most influential painters of the 20th century. 
Accurate. Pablo founded the abstract movement. Inaccurate. (laughs) With a friend, George Brock. Cubism (laughs) was invented. (laughs) They were friends. They did invent cubism, kind of. No, they did. No, well, Cezanne well, kind of did. No, he inspired it. Yeah, he's the he's the grandfather of it. Yeah, but he he didn't say like one day, my progeny will <laughs> cubify the world. Well, none of them did. Didn't somebody else coin the term cubism? I don't know. Uh, Picasso's painting La Demoiselle de Avignon started a revolution in art. That is fucking my favorite painting. Did you know that? That's Thank you for sharing. I love that painting as well. It's great. It's Go amazing. On. It's a good painting. It's a great painting. In the painting, the figures are angular, distorted, and have been flattened into planes of color. This picture has elements of cubism. Cubism simplifies the shapes of nature into simple geometric forms. This distorts perspective by showing more than one view of an object in one picture. I can't believe she gave you a B for this. This is like grade A material unless you say something insane at the end of it. (laughs) Picasso also developed a new medium of collage. And then uh, after which the teacher has written and dot dot dot. (laughs) And the rest is yet to come. Yeah, the the rest is is left up to the reader's imagination. <laughs> now I remember and writing. And then decollage was invented. <laughs> yeah. And decoupage. And what's the one? What's the one? All the. Since this is a vocabulary yeah. test, I'll just tell the listeners that decollage is the opposite of collage. Oh right, but I was also wait. Then what's decoupage? That's it's a kind of collage oh. where you use you, like you put newspapers on old furniture. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you use glue and you like glue stuff right. like colored paper to stuff. Um I, I remember writing this because I was so excited that the sentence just ended right at the right place on the paper because if you we, will we may or may not post the photo online. No. But if you look at it it is the text is perfectly centered in the page. Now, for all you kids out there using Word documents and things where you can uh, uh, adjust, a, adjust the margins and justify left and right, um, much like Timothy Oliphant, who just goes around justifying things left and right, um, and Justin Timberlake, mm. um, in the olden days of writing with a utensil on a piece of paper, you had to have lines and guides, and most of the time it wouldn't line up nicely and perfectly but uh this one came out to be a beautiful uh manuscript so did she write any notes on there except for dot 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 no they just wrote and why did she why did she give you a b uh is that not an accurate description of well i find your assumption that my teacher was a she rather sexist and reverse misogynist (laughs) sorry about that um they i uh you don't want to reveal. It's fine. It's a mystery. Uh, I don't know. I assume they were like, what's the next page? Where where do we go? For, I mean, because I did. I got well, pretty heavy in, into the cubist theory. And then I was like, also, he made up collage. <laughs> um, you did kind of uh, talk in absolutes, which is probably not. No, that's what we were talking about when we were looking at your writing. That Obvious is a word art historians <laughs> avoid. <laughs> But what did she say? Actually, or something? Use something. Definitely, Napoleon. Definitely. She said certain. Oh yes. Yeah, so, oh yeah. Wait. No, because cer- wait, certain is more of an absolute than obvious. Well, obvious is like, uh, I trust that you get this. Certain is like, I'm just gonna tell you what to think. Well, 
good writing good writing doesn't leave up You're anything just... to the reader. That's why they were mad at me because I I uh, I left him hanging. Wait, that's good writing doesn't leave anything up to the reader. That's so I was, like totalitarian. I was being, I was being facetious, oh. but when you're when you're interpreting art, a lot of times if you're if you're trying to write a convincing, uh, I should know these terms being a writer, but what do I say? A convincing essay, an argumentative essay. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a there's a type of essay where you're convincing people. You're persuasive essay. Persuasive. That's it. See. Uh, I would call that a convincing essay. Like I'm trying to convince you. <laughs> um, you have you have to speak as though you uh, trust your belief. And this, you know, to to go back to the the issues you were having earlier, this is the same thing with podcasting. Don't let people know that you're not sure. Just uh, just go out there and podcast. Boom, and she did. Okay, so um, part of no, you know, part of art and writing, like you just said, is knowing the terminology. Like okay. you just said, persuasive. And so that was uh, something that we had to do in my college is uh, memorize vocabulary words having I, to do with concepts in art. I should also write, note that I've write a lot of confusive essays, which is uh, where I confuse the reader. <laughs> is that where you're confused and you try to, you know, piece it out? I wish I had a really good. Uh, oh, shit. So I want to make a joke about like, you know, Confucius say. And then it could be something like. Confucius say and then I would like pull up a really good Confucius joke and then fuck it up but I well, you just I'll just sit here and think about it what and then I'll I'll get back I'm later. gonna write an awful joke really quickly in my head do you even know a lot of Confucius sayings to, to make a joke on it well I hear that Confucius say man who goes through airport sliding door sideways goes to Bangkok I can't even laugh at that. That's how bad that was. I know. Well, my friend, my friend, I don't know if he heard that or he heard that and then remembered it wrong or he tried to write it on his own. But I just imagine like, why would you just stand there sideways in the door waiting for it to close? On nuts. That's horrible. This is also a joke style that's like my parents. Age. Well, no, not my parents are way older than most people. My age's parents. This is like a style of uh, this is like something that a bad joke that would be written. Uh, it would have been uh, burned onto a piece of dry wood and stained and then hung in the staircase leading down to the rec room in a basement in the 1980s. Well, which is where I get all of my comedy history <laughs> and philosophical text. Nice. Um, I have to use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let's pick it up from I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> okay, we're back. Uh, yes, <laughs> well, you know, we both went to the bathroom. We've got to be honest with no, you. No, boys don't pee. That's that's a... Uh, oh, everyone yeah. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. And poop, no, no. That's Girls like, don't poop and boys don't pee. That's just yeah. basic biology. Yeah. Sparkles. <laughs> so I brought today to put you in the hot seat you're the weakest link. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Some of my tests from collage. <laughs> from decollage. Um, these are from the classes 20th Century European and American Art and Architecture from fall 2009. And Contemporary American and European Art from fall 2010. Jeez. 
Um, I don't know if I'll know any of this. I already had a master's degree by then, so if this this is like uh, new learning. That, yeah, it's that all revisionist, yeah. so it's going to be completely different. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you'll know it because it's so specific to what we were learning that I don't know if there's even like an easy definition, but I just kind of like in contrast to when you asked me last time, literally the easiest questions, yeah. like what's a line? Which are the hardest. That's the this hardest. Like, and yeah. I'm going to do the opposite and just give you a lot of like blah, blah, blah words. And you can see okay. if you can get them. Some okay. of them are easy. Some of them I know for sure that you will get. Okay. Um, but part of what's weird about this is like the way in which we learn about art history. And Andre earlier was kind of being critical of the idea that you sort of like parrot back things or like uh-huh. memorize vocabulary in order to understand these very complex concepts, you know, different to other kinds of things that you would learn. And I don't agree with that because I think that you need to have that working vocabulary to be able to engage in a discourse on that level. Mm-hmm. And so it's you a common have, language. Right. Um, but I do think it definitely shapes the way that you think about It's also stuff. more appropriate than trying to speak the language of love. <laughs> yeah. If only I could take a vocabulary test about that. Anyway. Um, so I have, uh, so I'll read you these, you know, so the, the way these tests worked was, um, first he would give us a set of vocabulary questions and we Mm -hmm. had to, um, write the definition and give an an example work of that definition. Mm -hmm. And then we would do slide tests similar to the art history test. Andre is our producer. Andre is our producer. They know that he's a character on the show. And what a character. Yeah. Um, then we would have a slide test where we had to write a short essay in, you know, however many minutes and it would either be a comparison or just a single picture. And so I finally figured out how to take Wait, you would compare a picture to itself? You would just write sort of a formal analysis of the picture. Which to this day, I don't really know what that means. (laughs) It means... I still put that in my syllabi. Didn't you, didn't you read Clement Greenberg? Yeah. It's uh, talking about the actual physical characteristics and qualities of the work and how then you can apply I, yeah, I the physical. Yeah, I compare formal analysis to like when they have a reporter at breaking news and they're not really able to get the camera to show the thing. And they're so they're trying to explain it to the audience. And they're like, <laughs> there's a man he's uh, coming out of the building. I don't know if you can see that at home. Uh, so he's walking. Uh, he's walking across the street. OK, the. <laughs> The police are following. He's getting in a white Ford Bronco. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. He's turning left on uh, La Brea Avenue. And, uh, oh, we now bring you to Chopper 12. With the, <laughs> that's, yeah. The four-hour sequence of the, the white Ford Bronco. And they're like, uh, he, oh, he's lost in the tree line. Andy, can you tell us what's going on <laughs> in the ground? Uh, well, he, it's a he's a bright red square. Right. Uh, he's walking diagonally across the picture plane. Um, he's met by a blue sort of uh, blobby. Uh, does it look like a swimming pool? No, uh, it's it's a cloud shape. Well, I, I, you know, it's like it's kind of circular, but not quite. It's ovoid. It's ovular. It's an oval. And if you didn't know the word ovoid, how would you ever explain? Right. I got a kid kicked out of class for using the word ovular once. Why? Cause it because it sounds like could, ovulate? Yeah, because he literally could not fucking stop laughing <laughs> to the point that the teacher, like, is that like gave him you... a detention and then sent him to the principal's office in the class, and that kid never forgave me. <laughs> it's like when you 
like laugh at organism and yeah. science. Yeah, or this other kid I knew that like uh fucking lost his shit that desert and dessert are like spelled similarly. <laughs> And he just kept saying it because he was trying to get it. He's like, uh, uh, the dessert, the dessert, because we were learning about climates. And he just kept saying wow. it. And we're like, yeah, we get it. And he's like, uh, hey, guys, guys, it's the dessert. <laughs> like and, collage. Yeah. yeah. Um, collage. So this is. Anyway, the way that I figured out how. This is fun with language. The way that I figured out how to ace these tests was to literally memorize Study. No, yeah. just like memorize everything he ever said and then parrot it back. And so now that I read these essays, it's so bizarre because they read like they sound like an art history textbook or something. But yeah. I wrote them frantically in 10 minutes or however long we had for each slide. I guess I mean, well, because you know what happens when you wing it? It's complete you, bullshit. Yeah. I wish I'd saved the test. This one student of mine I had recently where. uh they totally were like, I just imagined them before class being like, it's just art. You just say like arty sounding stuff. <laughs> so it was the elements and principles and just like nothing they said made any sense at all. But it like totally sounded like art talk and it didn't work. And then we wrote his paper, he or she or it. <laughs> Way to go. It might have been a dog or a pig. <laughs> uh, I'll, let's just say. Uh, he had four legs and. Uh, he competed in a shepherding contest <laughs> under the name quote unquote pig. Uh, the author of this. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> um, was it in, in uh, analyzing artwork applied that again, the sort of like, uh, Arty words, the, the, yeah, the verbose sort of poetic meandering, sort of flaneur approach to describing an artwork. Mm-hmm. And but he uh, didn't it say anything well. good? Or no, I was like, I don't know if you're making it up like you did on the test, but this perfectly, I get it. Like, <laughs> this looks like what you're looking at. I understand what you're saying. Maybe we're just delusional, like artists generally, or art historians. Yeah. So I was let like, me... I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll read an, an excerpt from one of these essays. This is about Jackson Pollock. Is it about eggs? No. This is about Jackson Pollock. One is uh, Man and Woman from 1944, so very early Jackson Pollock. And the other one is Number One. From his wedding series. And Number One, the first painting he ever made. I guess from 1950. Okay, so this is what I wrote. Um, Both paintings are by abstract expressionist artist Jackson Pollock. The one on the right is much earlier, when the artist was more interested in biomorphic abstraction. And number one represents his mature style of the drip paintings. While the drip does represent an evolution in style for the artist, the more representational work can be read as his underlying philosophies and symbolic content about psychological theories. Did you just say represent twice in the sentence? Uh, no, I said the most re- the more representational work can be but read. But you said the first one represents something, and then you said the more representational one. I said the drip, the drip does represent an evolution in style. The more representational work can be read for his underlying philosophies and symbolic content about psychological theories. Um, in Man and Woman, it's possible to see the Southwest and Native American influences that Pollock adopted uh, or adapted appropriated really should have been no uh, adopted i think yeah i said adopted the figures are geometric did you know that jackson have... pollock was adopted Ooh, there oh. you go shit gets deep 
The figures are geometric, have patterns, and are totemic. While the painting techniques of the two works are very different, it's possible to see some dripped areas in man and woman, showing the artist's emerging interest in that style of mark making. Anyway, and it goes on from there. But I'm just saying, I just, it's like amazing. I mean, it's all and correct. And that Katy Perry all, is how a dual reflex re- recursive reciprocal <laughs> lens works. Twin, run, twin lens reflex. But anyway, I just um, but it like, makes sense. It Does makes it make sense. sense to you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's all so. correct. But I'm just amazed that I was able to write it all without any notes, you know, under pressure mm-hmm. of taking a test. Under and, and I guess like taking that's tests on me. <laughs> taking tests for you. I guess that's why I can talk about art, how I can talk, because I fucking memorized all that stuff. I've heard many good friends say, I flunked out. So do you want me to ask you questions in chronological order or do you want me to just pull some out? I, th- uh, ladies choice. Okay. Don't do it that way. No. Um, I'll just uh, go in order because maybe that will be logical because it is 20th century and then contemporary. So it's theoretically should be building on your knowledge. So here we go on the midterm exam. We don't need to play the music because you guys know what I'm talking yeah. about. Okay, so the first question is... Can you do that after every question? Like you ask me the question, Okay, sure. The first one is, what is passage? Like passage? I mean, it could be passage, but... Passage. P-A-S-S-A-G-E, which means passage. But I think it's supposed to be French. I'm glad I guessed the spelling. Uh, I'm going to go Passage. It's that uh, it's that new restaurant. Uh, I'm assuming it's from the French word passage, meaning way through. Um, or possibly related to dressage, which is horse dancing. <laughs> Correct. Um, I'm going to give a disclaimer here that I did not remember what half of this stuff was. I did Is it written in test. italics? No. Because um, I feel like that's one of those texts, you know, like uh, the, where they're like writing normal English and then they'll use a word or a phrase in another language and it'll be in italics and then they never tell you what it meant. They're like, I was walking down the passage. <laughs> well, part of the problem also is that he gives a specific example of an artist in which this word is uh, related to. Okay, and can I you give me that artist? Cezanne. Passage. Um, wow. And it's not... Uh, well, because now I'm imagining his historic views of Mount Saint-Victoire. <gasps> that is literally the example! That's the example listed oh. on the sheet. Nice. On the study sheet. So I, I'm going to give that to you. So I'm Ding! guessing maybe that's like, <laughs> yeah, so maybe it's a type of uh, a view or a vista or something. Or that, when you talk about a mountain pass, a mountain mm. passage, that, I don't know. Not quite, but it did lead you to the right painting, so that's fine. Oh, right. Um, Cezanne's method of two-dimensional overlapping color planes to indicate through abbreviated abstract form, spatial placement, and structures. That's what a passage is? I guess. A passage. But like, but it's not a passage because a passage of a painting is totally a different thing. Well, because. Define that. <laughs> um, well, it's like reading a passage in a piece of literature where you're right. like, that's like a nice area. Yeah. That's a nice transition where the painting goes from one place to another. Right. Passage. Yeah, so I don't know that how it's passage, 
that passage over there where you painted the mountain pass. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, so the next one's an easy one. Okay. Gesellschaft. Oh, shit. Uh, that's the spaceship <laughs> that this character named Tron Bon uh, has, and it's a spinoff game of Mega Man. What? <laughs> the Gesellschaft. That she sends all the robots out of there. Is that a the, real thing? Yeah. On the something like the Wacky Adventures of Tron Bon. Is that a German thing? No. Well, you know how the Japanese like the Germans. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, oh. Shit. I, that's what actually, you know, it's funny. The minute you said that, I was like, oh, my God, I've been meaning to look that up. <laughs> Because it's come up a couple times, and I'm like, I really should learn what that word means. <laughs> um, so, Gesellschaft uh, oh is... Your pronunciation is like... Gesellschaft. Yes. Um, that's Giselle Bunchen, uh themed drag queen. <laughs> Gesellschaft. Gesellschaft. Um, okay, I'll give you a hint. It's a German one. <laughs> uh, oh, is that like Theodore Geisel? Uh, Theodore Geisel, the creator of Dr. Seuss? No. Um, oh, it's like a design or an architecture term, I believe. Maybe it's like That's a totality of form. Oh, sir. Is that related to... Uh, Shit. Is that related to Gestalt? No. Is the Gestalt is like sort of like the totality and the thing around it, and I think the Gizel shaft is the thing in the middle, or it's the shaft that goes down the center. <laughs> it's the piston that drives the Gazomkunst. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you give up? Yes. Okay, it's the <laughs> It's the concept within German culture related to the rise of modern urban society based on capitalist competition and individualism. Conflicts with the traditional value, German values of rural, can't even speak, rural agrarian life and community Volk society. Uh, well, see, I'm an art, uh, I'm a contemporary art historian, uh -huh. so I only know about Marxism in terms of German economic 20, theory. This is 20th century. So. Gesellschaft. I think is Gemeinschaft the. Um, um, that's Gemeinschaft that's how you get is, down to my. Is the Gegenteil of Gesellschaft. Again, you need to speak terrible rudimentary German to listen to this podcast. But um, Gemeinschaft is the agrarian. The Gemeinschaft is the community. The Volk. And the Gesellschaft no, the is, is the society. Yes. Ooh. Points. Excellent. The example also, work that he has here is also you find the gold at the bottom of Gemeinschaft, <laughs> but it, you the can't Nazi have any gold. of it. But you can't have any of it because it's a gemein <laughs> and oh not God. yours. God. <laughs> uh, the example work for that one is Kirchner's Street Scene, Berlin. Oh, I love that one. It's a good one. I had a teacher say that I drew like Kirchner. And I kind and that of was her nice way of saying you can't draw. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I think I'm offended by that. 
And I would have been like, oh, but, but Kirk knew was a good draftsman. Shut up. Well, she, I mean, she was trying to be like, see, your uh, drawing's not all bad. It kind of looks like Kirkner, but You look like I, someone who killed himself because of a mental illness. <laughs> okay. The next one. Uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> you are the weakest link. I just need to say that because you said that to me so many times. It's just, it was in the, it was in the air. It was in the, it was in the zeitgeist. Uh, that's you got not your gazelle shaft in my zeitgeist. <laughs> you got your zeitgeist in my gazelle shaft. Okay. The next one is a modernist dialectic. Oh, I thought you were like, the next one is going to be a modernist dialectic dot, dot, dot. And then you're going to no, modern, define modernist dialectic. Uh, well, the only dialectics I know are the ones that break bricks. What? Super deep cut for our, our super nerdy audience out there. Um, there's a it's called the modernist dialectic. Yeah. Once again, uh, this my, one is one of those ones that I feel like is so vague. My communist, fascist, Marxist uh, art education is overcompensated. Who's the who's the dialectics guy? Hegel. Hegel. Hegelian. See, I know the Hegelian right. di dialectic. Okay, well, I'll read the first part of this so the definition. Modernist? Derived from Hegelian dialectic. Oh. Oh, so I'll just tell you what the Hegelian is. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's the... You have the thesis and the antithesis. Uh -huh. uh, and then they... So you have a thing, then you have the opposite of the thing. The and then, tile. And the uh, synthesis is when the two of them combine and form a stronger uh, artwork in their unity. You have the synthesis. You have the thesis, the antithesis. <laughs> Antithes it's pronounced antithesis, but when you're trying to overemphasize it, you sorry, the antithesis. Jesus <laughs> Christ. You have the thesis, the antithesis, and the synthesis. Yeah. Um, that's, so what, I mean, that's, so that's what it is, yeah, but basically so what is that, what, this and? one is yes, just and? Uh, cr creating new progressive modern style. And I guess he's just sort of looking for like an example of how that's used in modernist He's art. like, modernism, discuss. <laughs> can you, can what, you give like an the, example of the Hegelian dialectic at work in modernist art? Um, that's like, can you give me an example of a drawing with lines in it? <laughs> Like, <laughs> I mean, well, because modernism is, yeah, I guess you would say modernism is, well, there's many modernisms, let's be honest. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, no, so, I mean, the sort of, well, the received idea of modernism is it's the idea of like a, a logical progression, uh, which some people would say towards the end of history or towards utopia or some sort of like. Uh, it's constantly getting better. So I guess when I'm thinking of that, I'm thinking it's a little bit difficult to think of the idea of having a thing and then it's opposite and then the two of them getting along. That seems uh, slightly postmodern. Uh, but then also the realization that postmodern is actually just totally modern but with <laughs> video art <laughs> um, and text instead of paintings uh, or paintings that are supposed to be ugly. That's the di what's the diff here? This is my question. What's the difference between modern art and postmodern art? In postmodern uh, art, it's supposed World War to be II. ugly. <laughs> it's supposed to be ugly. Um, In modern art, it just is. 
yeah. Just kidding, Monterey um, is my favorite. Actually, okay, let's let's talk about Emil Nolde, uh, another mm-hmm. German expressionist. I guess you could say all the German expressionists. Um, their idea of modernism, I mean, first of all, it was about this uh, angst uh, between the the Gesellschaft der Stadt <laughs> und uh, Bavaria. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the the rural life and, you know, peasantry versus uh, urbane city life. Mm-hmm. And also this idea of, like, you know, I mean, already, that you know, like, people talk about oh, the city and, like, weird technology and feeling strange about modernization and urbanization. But, I mean, this was, like, as soon as there were two buildings that were next to each other, people were like, I don't know, I can't deal with <laughs> gentrification. Well, I guess um, we can probably so we skip... So I would say, just to finish the thought, uh, the expressionists uh, sort of ambivalence towards modernization, towards the industrial age and so on. And the and looking towards things like nudist colonies and, uh, you know, fantasizing about, you know, primitive tribes and things. And this idea that they have a more pure understanding of life or a more true expressive free life and then incorporating that into their art I would say is a modernist synthesis what a great transition what is naturism uh not that (laughs) I feel like naturism is like uh the conservative realist uh approach uh it's like Thoreau collecting rainwater in buckets uh no it's not I'm being told naturism I'm like, oh, God, that's like when your dad is it's when you're spending a Saturday and you're wanting to just keep playing the video game you rented last night. And your dad's like, we're going for a walk in the forest preserve. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Um, uh, huh? There's a there's a small uh, single jet biplane flying over the apartment <laughs> right now, crop dusting. Uh, when you say naturism, I imagine. Oh, tch. I just want. Okay. Do we, you want me to just Google naturism? No, no. no. Did um, you try using your thumb and then it didn't work on my phone and you're like, what's going on? <laughs> uh, no, I mean we can. Uh, I'm just I forgot to check our email because I told my dad to write in uh, oh. and email about for father's day and oh. i just forgot till just now right. but i don't know if he did nature is so this is you know is that virtue is that uh is that versus nurturism <laughs> oh so wait you're wanting to sign into gmail on my phone i'll just get my phone because i'm already signed into one of my other gmails on my phone okay. this is behind the scenes with nina lithoff so andre how's it going <laughs> I'm distracted because I cut my thumb chopping onions earlier. Oh, Jesus. Did that hurt? It hurt like a bitch. Yeah. Sorry. Are you pretending to be me on the podcast? No. No, we just thought we'd... Um, One other question for you, Andre. Uh, You seem to know what naturism is. Uh, Is this like Arthur Rambo? No. Don't say anything funny about naturism. Oh. Um, When you said that, I just imagined the opening monologue of the film Painter's Painting where they're talking about how... Uh, American artists until the abstract expressionists were thought of as fiddling rustics. So when I think of naturism, I think of like two old men. Fiddling their rustics? Yeah, I think of uh, that guy 
who played Matthew, perhaps Cuthbert, in the uh, television adaption of Anne of Green, Green Gables. I would th- say Anne of Green Gables. That's a quite uh, naturist passage. Can you name an artist that might, uh, you know, exemplify naturism from it, the 20th century? Okay, can you... Th- okay, 20th. Is this in Europe or America? Europe. Uh, shit. Who's the guy my friend calls the painter of twigs and fingernails? What? There's a French guy, not... Tussaud. Is it Tussaud? Oh, (laughs) no. The painter of fingernails and twigs? No. Which, when he described that to me, I imagined this beautiful, like renaissance precision panel painting of like a pile of twigs and fingernails which actually would be fucking (laughs) awesome art but he just mentioned he just meant that the guy was so obsessive with detail that he'd paint like every fingernail in a painting and every twig if he painted a tree no it's Matisse what do you mean fauvism yeah no I mean naturism is exemplified by here um let's see la 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 um it stressed a direct, spontaneous approach to life and the central pleasures of the natural world. The joie de vivre, if you will. Yes. Naturism has a strong impact on modernist, modernist primitivism of Matisse and Fauve painters. Uh, I can say safely that I've never heard that term, particularly in reference to Matisse. Well, whatever. And his followers. His wild beasts, if you will. The Fauves. Google seems to believe that naturism is... Just people being naked. <laughs> that it's too. Just, it's just nudism. Yeah, which well, is that's closer. The painting they say is uh, Matisse's. Um, is it the one called Joy Joie of, of Life? Joie de Vivre, yeah. <laughs> and that is just naked. It's just like bleh. another another famous naked dancing painting yeah. of his, La Dance. Yeah, every one of his paintings is naked and dancing. Yeah, it's yeah I'm gonna call bullshit on that because that's. A bunch of bullshit naturism. All right, we're moving on to the final of 20th century art. All right. Um, is that getting old? No, it's okay. getting new. Good. Keep going. Okay, I'm not sure how to pronounce a lot of these, so I'm just going to try my best. Let's just go through Yeah. Factura. Next. <laughs> Pass. But this one uses Tatlin as an example. Factura? F-A-C-T-U-R-A. Uh, Is this like architectural, architectonic? This is basically, I don't know how to tell you this without giving it away, but it's basically like the um, Russian version of process art. Okay. A constructivist principle of stressing Ah. the inherent physical properties of an artistic material. All right, well, I fucked the pooch on that one. Because I fancy myself a fan of constructival artworks. I know. All right, next. You ruined it. Okay, Ugh. Piloti. What? P-I-L-O-T-I, Piloti. Nah, Pipilotti wrist. Pipilotti? Sure. Piloti. I don't is that know. What the, is that what the pooties sleep on in uh, cherubic paintings? No, <laughs> no. Can I remind Rest you? your head on the Pilati, my pooty. Can I remind you this is a test about 20th century European and American art and architecture? Pilati. Is that uh, the precursor to Pilates? 
I don't know, in case you didn't guess. I know. It's a steel column used to support a building above ground level, i.e. Oh. Cabousier's Villa Savoy. La Cabousier. <laughs> La Cabousier. Okay. I, I'm gonna give you a. I'm gonna give you a hint. Uh, in 20th century art and architecture, I only paid attention to the art. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it was Ludwig Mies van der Rohe. Mm. Architecture's blah. Even though I, I like need it to live or whatever. No, I do love Villa Savoy, and there's a Lego version uh, of it that you can build. Is that now? How about Notre Dame d'Ahoo? Is that by Corbusier? Mm. I think the bigger question on people's lips, is it Le Corbusier or Le Corbusier? Cabousier. Corbusier. Which is French for the caboose. <laughs> as I don't the know train French to tell you that you're full of it. As the train winded through the mountain passage, Le Corbusier <laughs> was seen with its, its red paint. Factura. Yeah. All right, next one, and hopefully you'll get this, but I don't, I don't know. Zaum. Z a u m. Yes. Uh, this is a German principle for uh, dynamic rooms or spaces. <laughs> no, I'll give you a hint that this one is Russian again. Oh. Uh, a Russian principle. <laughs> Good start. Uh, Zaum. Does that have anything to do with Naum Gabo? No. I uh, mean, I don't know who that is, so I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> he was a Russian artist of the time period we were probably talking about. Zaum. I don't know. It's a state of heightened cosmic consciousness or perception associated with the mystical basis of Malevich's suprematist abstraction. Oh, so like that's what you feel when you look at it. Yeah. Zaum. Oh, I like that. I like that, too. I wish I used that more. I'll try to remember it again. Is it, can, do I get a half point for having felt it? Sure. Yeah, because most people don't look at a Malevich long enough to feel that. Yeah. Yeah, but, I made my students look at the Malevich last year, and they were not into it. Really? But it's a football player. Kids love football. Is that the one at, is the, one at the <laughs> Institute? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the problem with, with a lot of Malevich's paintings. He's like, I'm into non-objectivism. And then it's like, uh, this is a suprematist football player. <laughs> you're like, wait, whatever happened to the thing of like, I make paintings that only represent what they Zoom. are. It only represents Zoom. Yeah. Zoom, number 38 on the well, Moscow it Mules. It did represent Zoom, but then it also kind of looked like a football player. How is he supposed to tell the difference between, like, one square thing and another square thing? He has to name them something. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's like when, uh, when we were at my they grandparents' house. They can't all be called suprematist commissition. When I was a kid and we were at my grandparents' house and they had a pond in their... Uh, their backyard was on a pond because uh, several houses backed up on the pond. Um and there was a family of ducks there that summer. My sister, uh, first of all, oddly asked permission if we could name the ducks and then promptly took over the project of naming the ducks. <laughs> uh, to which point I was like, how do you know their names other than that the, the mom's name, the dad's name? Because those you can tell apart and they're larger than all the baby ducks. But uh, she looked into their eyes and she knew. Yeah, she did. 
And that's sort of like... Just like Malevich looks into a square and he knows. That's like also good old, Joseph Albers. They all know. They look into that square. Like and good old, good old cashmere, cashmere Georgie. Like good old Joseph, cashmere looking into those squares. A lot of Joseph Albers are yellow. I wonder if we could give them. Can I name the Joseph Albers after baby ducks? Like, well, baby ducks are yellow. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'll be like, I'm gonna call this one Quacky, and you're like, that's just homage to the square number seventy-five, and I'll be like, uh-huh. no, it's named. Oh my quacky. god, I want to name a yellow baby duck homage to the square number five. <laughs> I am so bummed. So I volunteered at this cat shelter, and I come up with the best fucking cat names. And so far, they've only picked Ferris and Sloane to go with the uh, depressed oh. cat whose name is Cameron. <laughs> The one I'm really trying hard to get is uh, I want to name one Pogasol uh, because the Chicago Bulls have a new defenseman named Pogasol. Oh, yeah. He came to the Art Institute. What? Why didn't you tell? You're like, Eric, Katy Perry farted all over the place. Aren't you proud? I, and I'm like, why didn't you t- <laughs> tell me about fucking Pogasol? I mean, I didn't. I wasn't there. Oh. It was in the paper. I don't read the paper. <laughs> I'll send you the article. Constructivist Russia paper reads you. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, he loves culture. He goes to the opera. Oh, awesome. He I goes did to think the he'd be museum. cool guy to hang out with. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, when it's coming around. He's someone time. I look up to. Literally. He's seven feet tall. Uh, okay, and he so, even looks small next to those tall paintings. Wow, next to those Clifford Stills, we know who the real man was. Pablo Picasso. <laughs> Um, all right, so give me another term of a thing that I've felt but don't know what to call it. Uh, okay, a, an okay. unknown known, if you will. Okay, new woman. <laughs> um, is that similar to the street next to where I live uh, or where I work that's honorary today's Chicago Woman Boulevard? <laughs> <laughs> that's so sad because today's Chicago Woman is defunct. Okay, I was I was wondering about that. I'm like, am I vaguely remembering this as a magazine? It's a magazine. Or yeah. is this street just dedicated to like the women of Chicago <laughs> today? Like the, they're like the women of Chicago and all you embody is is a, your street like qualities. <laughs> Cuz you can walk all over them. <laughs> you're you're impossible to get through. Uh, you're always congested. You're congested. <laughs> uh, people are always trying to cross you. Uh, you're perpetual under construction. You have a lot of potholes. You can fry an egg on you. <laughs> you, uh, like a woman, you've got a white dotted line down the center. Some of them are black. <laughs> Wait, streets or line? What? Women. It's like a very dark... This took a barely. This took a. Is that racist? <laughs> I mean, that's, no, that's just true. You mean the blacktop? Yeah. We also call that asphalt. Where I'm from. But you have a lot of asphalt. asphalt. Oh god, that reminds reminds me of better stories from happier times. I don't want. No. Uh... I don't know what your analogy is, but every time I see a woman, I'm like, what if they were divided in half by a white dotted line? And then there was, what? <laughs> I'm trying to compare. I know, to a street. It's, no, but it's not. I mean, they the are, point is that, that, it, they that, feel that there's sticky nothing when it's like, hot out and they constrict when it's cold. Wait, now we're comparing them to balls? <laughs> no. Wait, streets are like streets. balls? No. Streets are like. 
<laughs> okay. What's a new woman? Uh, In the context of 20th century European American art and architecture. European American art? Like European like and immigrants. American. <laughs> um, well, someone once told me that uh, when you get a haircut, you feel like a new woman. <laughs> uh, I believe it was the great philosopher Shania Twain also said, man, I feel like a new woman. Uh, Correct. I, a, a new woman. It's in quotes on the paper. It's like, quote, new woman, unquote. Uh, I mean, is this like having to do with like World War Two and the Rosie the Riveter and Close, like women having but, like, maybe new roles? a war before that though, like the Great War? Uh, so is this like uh, Florence Nightingale and the Red Cross? No, that was the um, Franco-Prussian War. <laughs> no, I was gonna say that, but no, I don't. I think it was. Um, I'm just dang guessing. it. This was like like my favorite fact was which war that Florence Nightingale was in. Um, uh, whatever. Okay, so you're basically saying this is... Maybe it was the Franco-Prussian War. The 20th uh, century... Uh, it's the early feminist movement in the 1910s and 20s, which advocated for more liberal social, political, and economic rights for women, i.e. Hannah Suffragettes. The beautiful girl. Like, like uh, you know, like in... Um, I feel like this person writing this test is like, here are some terms... That I made up. Right. Well, they, they accompany the lectures. Like, I, I mean, Zaum, that's a true thing. So is Factotum or whatever the other thing was. <laughs> fact, the Factura. Accura cake. Okay, here's one um, that is... Ir 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 oh, my God. Irregardless? No. Unequivocally a real word. Cantilever. Uh, that's like a physics thing, like when you're uh, balancing stuff on a pivot point. And it sticks out cantilevers over things. I think rods can cantilever. <laughs> Poles vault rods cantilever. Um, it's an architectural term. Next. Correct. Overhanging modern architectural element used for either roof or Dude, porch that's what structures. I just said when things like hang that's out. That's what I said. Correct. Oh, cool. Created with construction techniques of reinforced ferro concrete over steel rods. Ferro? Is that like uh, iron concrete? With ferrous in it? I don't know. Like ferro fluid? No, I think it no. probably does have Pharaoh, like Ferris, like uh, Bueller's. Yeah, Bueller, Bueller. Congratulations, <laughs> you have moved on to the contemporary questions. Uh, da, da, Is this da, our da, more, more made up um, shit? Is that? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, I always thought that was like the suffragettes was the term that people used uh, around that time because of the women's suffrage. Um, but this is sort of referring to. Um, is that a real term? The new woman Weimar, movement? yeah, like Weimar Germany, kind of. Oh, the the Neue Frauen. Yes, that literally that means new woman giving boob. Okay. So is that really what they said? I guess so. All right, what is post-cubist space? Um, cubist space that comes after the internet. <laughs> Do you really not know this one? Post-cubist space. Yeah, that one you should know. Well, because I have a weird relationship with space. <laughs> oh, here we go. Well, because they always talk about abstract space, but it only uh, space always performs in our understanding of real representational space. There's no such thing as abstract space because that's like trying to imagine death or God or a fifth dimension. 
Like it's impossible for us to understand something fundamentally different than the the uh, basic tenets of our reality. Mm-hmm. So when they talk about abstract space, they're like, well, no, it's a it's a Pollock squiggle, but we're understanding it as though we're looking at a thicket or we're looking at a bush. Uh, so we're still thinking about it in terms of real three-dimensional space. We're just looking at red squares and yellow circles or right. something like that. Well, I think that's why post-cubist space is a much more accurate term than um, abstract space. But that, but this one, but post-cubist space would then, uh, that just, that's that modernist thing again where they're like, well, after cubism, space was never the same. <laughs> It wasn't. That's totally accurate, though. But I disagree because we still just looked at when you look at cubism, you just imagine a bunch of weird, uh, uh, as they said of uh, Duchamp's new descending a staircase explosion in a shingle factory. (laughs) So it's not really you're like, even though it's an abstract image, you're like, what if this was constructed out of shards of wood and so forth? So our understanding of space never changed. Right. But that's not post post cubist. I mean, okay, it is post cubist. Duchamp, but that's like a cube that okay. It's that was a cubist post painting. Cubist, but that's a cubist painting. But like what they're saying is, I would that call that a cubo-futurist painting, which is sh- cubism in true. motion. That's true. Shifting ambiguous figure ground relations in abstract expressionist painting. Yeah. And also, but I mean, my argument though is, well, first of all, I I don't know. I grew up in a post-cubist world, so I can't imagine what space was like before that. But um, I can say that. Uh, yeah, I guess, I don't know, I guess it's hard to conceive, like, that's part of my conception of what space is, so it's hard for me to think of that as, like, not being space the way I understand space. They talk about, like, pictorial space. Yeah. But I guess, like, post-cubist space is also an all-over composition. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, I guess, like, because, I, I mean, you know, I was, like, looking at the Hans Hoffman paintings, and it's all about push and pull, mm-hmm. and but it also looks like, I mean, you're understanding it in terms of planes existing in real space so it's it's impossible to conceive of space other than the way it is and so maybe that when you're saying when the the there's an ambiguity between planes and where they sit in space Mm -hmm. uh maybe that's the confusion you would call right it's it's ambiguous but i think i understand what you're saying that like your concept of the, the the concept of space is necessarily understood by your brain as space as, yeah is a certain uh, in relation to yeah. when you were a baby and you figured yeah. out how to like move throughout the world and that you can't get away from that because the world in which you live is not abstract um so that's well, yes, the, the concept of it you are relating the concept of it to your um perception right but then reality, what i'm also saying though is that our we grew up after those innovations and uh painterly pictorial space had become widespread enough as to end up on like Nickelodeon cartoons. So maybe this actually is a different idea about space, but it has been so absorbed into Mm -hmm. the, uh, Mm -hmm. Gestaltung? (laughs) Gesellschaft. Well, it is good. This is relating to Gestalt kind of. Gestalt theory. Yes. But, Uh, um, that's also a psychological stage. No, I totally agree. I sometimes wonder, that like I think I can't see things the same way as people did in the early twentieth century. No, you cannot. You literally cannot. Yeah. That's the uh, that's the thesis of the name of the rose by Umberto Eco. 
Hmm. Is that you can never? Un- I've I've never read the book, but I saw the movie, and someone explained it to me. <laughs> good enough. Good enough. <laughs> One of my humanities professors. And uh, no, but ba- I mean, the point is, well, first of all, it's like a medieval murder mystery. So he's like, could I write like a Sherlock Holmes story, but set in a monk, a monkery uh, monastery? Wow. <laughs> is monkery on the You need to read more test? books and get them I've summarized read, less. <laughs> I've read them too many. Um, <laughs> You've read so many books that it's like pushed other words out of your brain. Yeah. And just like. Um, What's that metal deal you use to dig food? Yeah. Uh, corkscrew. <laughs> um, no, but the idea the idea is like you can never understand what it's like to exist in another time period other than your own. Yeah. That also really bothers me. This is not um, exactly related to that, but when people are like, I wish I was alive during Mad Men. Or I, like, I wish I lived in Mad Men times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you fucking idiot. Like, if you lived in Mad Men times, you would still be alive. Um, oh, you yeah, know, that's a good point. You would still be experiencing this. That Like, a decade oh, yeah. only lasts for 10 years. So you can't be like, I wish I lived in the, you know. I mean, I, I can understand I wish I lived through this time I wish I was there to experience this thing, but that's yeah. totally different than like you want to, you're like, Oh, I love the world of Mad Men. I wish I could live there. <laughs> that doesn't, well, it's all pretty soon. It's now. Yeah. <laughs> like my parents were alive yeah. then. Yeah. And they're both ruthless suit wearing <laughs> highball drinking. Uh-huh. Not even, not even close. Okay. Um, I feel like I should skip some of these words because they're like too vague, and I'd rather. Yeah, I was. I mean, I have to say, I'm blindsided by. Yes, I knew that was gonna happen. Okay, I'll I'll throw you a softball because you've been so good. Ugh. How about what is a ready-made? Uh, that's like ready whip, right? It comes in a can. Correct? Well, there's there's, well, no, that's uh, that's artist shit by Piero Manzoni comes in a can can he do it folks (laughs) uh well there's three kinds of ready-mades uh there's the ready-made which is uh, well so first of all this term only exists in reference to duchamp Mm -hmm. um oh you know what though that's i mean it does obviously mention duchamp but that's not the example art that he put here oh because you're Art teacher's a fucking twat. Yeah, he's trying to get you to think about Neo Dada. Ugh. Um, no, so I'm <laughs> going to uh, officially say that, yeah, if you use the word ready-made and you're not talking about Deshaun, you're an asshat. <laughs> uh, if you're going to use the term ready-made and talk about another artist, you use the word found object, which is also known as two words. <laughs> No, because um, his example is Jasper John's flag, which is not a found object. But it's it is, also not a ready-made. I mean, I don't. It's actually one hundred percent not a ready-made. A ready-made is a found object uh, that you present as art with uh, no um, adaptation or right. uh, adjustment or anything to it. Right. Uh, a assisted ready-made is when you take two found objects or more and you combine them. So, for example, the first ready-made would be Fountain, which is a urinal uh, placed on its side <laughs> by Marcel Duchamp. Um, oh, and then there's Picasso with the bicycle seat and the handles that make it look like a bullhorn. Exactly, yeah. So, you way to go, Andre. So, funny. if you were going to pick an artist that was not Duchamp 
you would do the the Picasso that our friend Andre just mentioned. Um, finally, you have a rectified ready-made, which would be the lithograph of the Mona Lisa to which he affixed mm. a mustache mm-hmm. and the phrase Ella Ashad Oku, uh, oh, yeah. which you in know, French means she has a hot ass. Right. You want to know what's great? What? Um, when I was at MoMA, I saw the Sturdevant exhibition oh, and nice. she has one of those in it. So it's like a Sturdevant version of the Duchamp version of the Mona Lisa. And I was just sort of standing by it, listening to people go by. And it was like the weirdest thing because everyone was entering the exhibition like the wrong direction. And so none of them knew who Sturdevant was or the fact that these works were originally other works and they were totally confused. And this mom turns to her daughter and she goes, hey, look, the Mona Lisa. Now we don't have to go to Paris. (laughs) Wow. And my she head was like off by exploded. three layers. Loaded. I mean, I just Holy didn't even shit. know where to begin to tell her that she was wrong. And I, I just couldn't even. It was like. Bleh, 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 bleh. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. It was like the best overheard I've ever had. That is amazing. Yeah. So, well, and I like to I like to present Duchamp because he's interesting. Um, but also. Well, yeah. Also. OK. I'm, OK. So think of music that was made in 19. 19- 11 or 1914 does anyone give a fuck about that i mean was uh wc that no he was earlier than that okay well then i don't know um what about but people still still cannot like agree with duchamp they like people are like that's like when people think about stuff that weird fucks are making now they're they're thinking of duchamp which is over 100 years old now yeah and that's why i'm like art is the best thing i know (laughs) i agree no, in a hundred in a hundred years, it. I know a lot of rappers say this will be happening, but in a hundred years, will we be playing Picasso, baby? Well, I mean, somebody or will we be looking at a Picasso, baby? I had a friend who was like, "Yeah, I like going to the museum, but you know, I don't really like some of that modern art weirds me out. Like Picasso, I don't really like it. It's weird." And I was like, "What oh, uh... the? F- like you are still can't get over Picasso? Like?" Yeah. Yeah. A hundred years ago. Yeah. That's that's why I like modernist art because it's like still so complex that people are grappling with it. And so it's like, why would you even bother making anything else? Yeah. One, well, I also don't get it. Like, like I'll, I was talking to someone today that's very tech savvy and very up to date on those things. And he was, first of all, it was awesome because he was just naming artists. And he's like, we know all the greats. And then he just like named the artists. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, Picasso and Giorgio O'Keefe and Frida Kahlo and Jackson Pollock and Lichtenstein. And, oh, and then that was the thing that got me. He's like, and uh, the guy that did the soup cans. I was like, how the mm-hmm. fuck do you know Frida Kahlo, but not Andy Warhol? I don't I mean, know. like he was that literally would kill Andy Warhol. He's like, I worked so hard <laughs> for you to just know who I am. He only got the 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, but I was like, you're so like contemporary and everything else but you're like and he's like there's this other one i just did not get it It was like just orange just like a big orange painting i don't get it and it's like yeah i just don't understand how to me that 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 is cognitive dissonance when you have someone that's like super contemporary in their lifestyle and like you know what i mean like they're up on trends and now I really sound old and their YouTubes and their tweets and stuff and their Snapchats the internet. and their kicks. And then they're like, 
uh, I don't, I don't get this guy. Like he just slashed a canvas and I'm like, Oh, Lucio Fontana. <laughs> and yeah, I'm just like, what, how, how can you have a galaxy note edge and then be like, uh, art from 75 years ago is too new and weird for me. <laughs> oh, that is, I, yep. I know. Well, anyway, the funny part is, okay, so you don't agree with this definition or the example. Um, the, the actual definition from the answer sheet reads, radical concept associated with Duchamp's Dada art and later it's adopted. a radical concept. It was. Ne- by neo-Dada artists Johns and Rauschenberg, in which a common found object. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I was too much thinking about radical concepts. Go back. So wait, a radical concept. Associated with Duchamp's Dada art and later adopted by neo-Dada artists Johns and Rauschenberg, a.k.a. pop artists. Okay. Was this dude really fucking old? The teacher? No. Oh. In which a common found object is used as the basis of creating an art piece. The strategy of the ready-made rejects modern formalist and expressive values and places more emphasis on the conceptual selection of form and the use of art to make an intellectual statement. And then he uses Jasper John's flag as an example, which is not an accurate example. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's saying that, I mean, you could argue that the idea of the American flag is a ready-made, like, it's a template. It's a... Right, it's a ready-made it's a sign. shape. It's a symbol. It's a sign. It's a symbol. It's a it's a it's sort of platonic in the sense, you know what I mean? Like where we all have this idea of like the American flag. But actually, also, if you look at his American flag, it was not a ready made because he had to paint it and collage it. Well, and also it was also surrealist because he had a dream that he painted an American flag. And then the next day he went out and got the materials to do so. Which is also talked about in the film painters painting. Um, That's kind of cool. Uh. Oh, I thought I got partial credit for this, but it the turns other, out the questions are worth two and a half points for some reason. The, Wait, no, the other thing I want to say about the John's flags is the ones in the 50s only have 48 stars Ooh. because of Alaska and Hawaii. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, because because right. in his mind, as much as it's impossible for a living human to conceive of cubist space he couldn't conceive of an america with 50 states (laughs) well would you draw a flag with 51 states if puerto rico maybe someday becomes a state oh man if you had some balls you'd do that now yeah and what you would do is like like fuck up that square a little bit so like juts out or something it's like there's an extra star (laughs) that'd be good um okay so here's my definition you tell me if you think it's better than the teacher all right ready made a sculpture which an artist barely or does not work on at all. Ha ha ha! A plus. <laughs> <laughs> and instead presents an everyday object already completed as a work of art. It is a form of appropriation and challenges notions of artistic individuality, the will of an artist, and consumerism. Example, Fountain Duchamp, 1917. <laughs> Oh, my God. We're going to have a party in 1917. I just threw the test at him, and it totally landed on his head. <laughs> uh, you got me. Oh, there you go. Um, well, I just like that your definition was like an artwork that an artist <laughs> barely works on. It's true. Um, you can't say that Duchamp didn't work on Fountain because he totally did. He painted. Yeah. He painted on it. Well, he so- no, and his whole argument was that he selected it. He did, and he and turned it on its side so it was non-functional. Well, it was also he almost non- did too much work on that thing. It was also non-functional in that it wasn't connected to a turlet. Bet you could still pee on it though. Yeah, no, someone did that once. To 
be like, uh, yeah, I, I paint lyrical, nocturnal, pastoral landscapes, and I hate... I love when, when there's always these, like, art terrorists that are, like, yeah. really shitty people that, you know, as we were saying, like, still can't get their head around. They're, like, they, they're, like, barely accepting of Impressionism. Yeah. Or, and, like, that guy that and smashed then they, that Ai Weiwei bass that we talked about that yeah. one time. And then they end up doing shit that's, like, totally Dada, which is still old and out of date, but it's also 60 years ahead, at least, of what the things they think are really art. <laughs> but then that's still 80 years behind where we are now. Um, fun fact, uh, Tanya Bagheera, uh installed a urinal, reinstalled the, not the real one, but reinstalled it in a bathroom. Mm. So there's an image of it. At, she, she did it at the Queens or the Bronx Museum of Art uh, of the urinal. So it's like, says Armut and it's in the bathroom. <laughs> I and actually have a Tatiana Bergara update. Or anecdote. T- who? How do you ever pronounce her name? Tanya. Tanya. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? No, I uh, mean, I, I don't know. Well, the other... The other uh, Tanya. F- before we do that, because uh, uh, I, uh, if you're a guy and you look look at urinals a lot, <laughs> like I do. <laughs> uh, well, no, around when I was younger and like reading about Duchamp and stuff, I noticed that actually that model or at least one very similar is you can still see those in place in bathrooms today hmm. because I remember like using one and being like, Oh, that looks like the front of the urinal. And then realizing, Oh, this is how it actually is installed upright and being like, Holy shit. <laughs> these are the real urinals from fountain or, or at least, you know, where it's like, you know, I'm sure like some, uh, urinal engineer would be like, Oh yeah. Well, the, the THX 1138 is the, uh, the, the the modern grandchild of the uh room 237 uh that Duchamp used mm-hmm. some some uh is that like Cooper how, humor for you there is that like how Haas avocados all come from the same plant yeah yeah or like how how there's like these you know like uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it it's not an Eames chair but there's like a certain style of like office chair that you can get I think it is an Eames chair no, but I'm not sure if it's the one I'm thinking of, but, uh, yeah. Or like a red solo cup. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, cause there's a certain type of like black chair that's like got metal legs on it and it's mm-hmm. got kind of like a V shape. And to talk about the, the ready-made again, this is, this is an artist's work was that he just found two that were like supposed to be modeled on the same specifications of the original one that's like licensed somewhere. Um, but now it's become a generic chair, so you just have to m- manufacture it within, like, a certain range of inaccuracy. So you get two chairs that are identical, but they're actually, like, a centimeter higher or lower. This was a European art show. Mm. Um, yeah, that's very um, So the artwork was, wasn't even... <laughs> so the artwork wasn't even the two chairs. It was the difference between the two chairs. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very dry. <laughs> and let me tell you, that was fucking chock full of Zaum. <laughs> All right, so let's let's hear our Tanya update. Um, the Tanya update is that she is on a um, an automatic email e-blast list, and I got an auto reply from her studio saying, "Tanya can't respond right now; she's under house arrest." Oh yeah, and it was very, it was just very chilling. It was just like yeah. I screen capped it so I can send it to you if you want. But it was just like I got that email too. I feel like you're participating in some kind of yeah 
global phenomenon, how, how, and it just you? is automatic because if it, she's on this, yeah, auto it's just an list, auto reply. So it's just an auto reply. Yeah. So wait, what were you emailing her in your professional capacity, or? Uh, yes. Or she was automatically being emailed through a professional capacity. Oh, okay. And I was just deleting all the auto replies, oh, and that I one see. was. Yeah. Out. No, that's amazing. Yeah, I agree with what you said. Like it, it makes it. Yeah, real it's just and I'm personal. like delete, 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 delete. Out of office, out of office, out of office, out of office, and then that was one of the out of offices. Wow. Yeah. All right. So next question. Oh, really? Another yeah. one. I liked your answer about ready-made. I I actually do think that's a better answer, but also in there, I I think it also contains the kernel of why art is so stupid now. <laughs> Because you're like, and thereby the artist questions, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, Duchamp did that. If you're doing, like, the 900,000th art student to do that is no longer questioning these challenged notions. Because those are now the notions of the ocean. Yep. All right. I'm thinking, I'm going to ask you two more. I'm, I'm skipping the ones that are more about philosophy or just general because they're not necessarily pertaining to a particular. Oh, I'm going to ask you three more. Actually. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, this one, I don't know how to pronounce though. So, and this one actually is in italics. It's Fomato. Um, atmospheric perspective. Tachisma? I don't know. Tachino? T-A-C-H-I-S-M-E. Is that Tashisma? Tashism? Uh, is this like a uh, graphic drawing term? No. Sort of like abstract ink drawing? No. Okay. Spell it again. T-A-C-H-I-S-M-E. I don't know. What is it? It's a term applied to post-war, the post-war art trend of expressionist abstraction in Europe, particularly the dense textured abstractions. Yeah, that's Toshism. No, but like. It's like the lines. It's like the graphic lines that are kind of violent and clustered. Yeah, but I, I associate it with like Burry, like um, fabric, you know, as like sewn uh, torn fabrics. So, I mean, I guess. It okay. Is I guess I was thinking of Hans Hartung's. Uh, Sort of inky clustered lines. But that would, violence, I think, is the key. Yeah. Um, here's my definition. It refers to the physical or tactile qualities of a work of art, one in which the surface texture and materials plays a big part in the meaning of, or image. In post-war European art, texture was often used to invoke a sense of ripping wounds, tears, and disjuncture from the war. Do you know the, those are like the, the Bury, uh, he was a war prisoner in the south of America. I mean, really? of the state, in the desert. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. And uh, so that's all, like, referencing... Me. They really freak me out. I, I, like, found them hard to look at. Oh, yeah. Well, because that, that material and stuff is all referencing, like, uh, field dressing and wounds and stuff like right. that. Like, that's based on his experience uh, as... Is he Italian or Spanish? I don't know. Alberto Burri. I think he's Italian. Yeah, uh, But Italian. basically being a Axis power soldier that was, you know, captured and sent to a POW camp. Right. I mean, that's how I felt at the Doris Salcedo show, um, which you may or may not want to talk about because you don't care about. But it was just like, is, uh, you know, 
like just looking at it, it you know, it's just like benign materials. But this, that's my so problem. Horrifying. She's never been a POW. Right. Like it's I understand. True. She's like, and that's why her work annoys me because she's like, I'm giving the voice to the voiceless and whatever. And it's like Alberto Burry was like, I was a fucking POW and this is my experience. Yeah. You know, I mean, where I she's like, that's... let me express you for you. Let me interview you and translate that into a sewed piece of hair on a table. Well, I, I mean, my biggest problem with her work was the fact that she associates certain projects with certain atrocities or certain mm -hmm. stories. That is like a little bit like, oh, brother, come on. Yeah. But I just think the use of materials, it evokes that something horrible yeah. has happened, even though there's nothing actually. Yeah, like especially this. the bedroom ones where you're like something horrible happened to my dresser. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the scariest one for me or like the hardest to look at was these stacks of starched shirts with like a rod sticking out of them really? and it just sounds so like it's just a bunch of fabric and rod nothing but it just was it a gazelle shaft <laughs> <laughs> no the um, ones that i couldn't handle were the, I don't know. the the first ones with the like fat the sinew wrapped around them mm -hmm. they were like total marilyn manson looking Stuff. Yeah, that was creepy. That, Those were like, super creepy. It like, was I'm like totally this like, furniture was taken from a mental hospital, yeah. and here's the skin of the mental patients. But yeah. that's not like true. I'm but like, it, like looks like those that. were the most visceral, and those were like totally like, like I don't know, like it just made me think of like uh, illegal abortions and oh, like uh, not having access to proper medical care. You know, like or like a third world country where the, it's like the doctors like these are the tools I have to like treat people that have been yeah, hit by cars scary. and stuff. It's scary. So, so it is, evo it evokes those feelings. Okay. Okay. So I guess I was wrong. I would apply, but I would apply that term maybe to her work. Yeah. Okay. Wait, isn't Tosh ink, ink in German? Um, is that no, maybe Tintin. one? No. Teeth. No, Tintin teeth. That Tosh means ink well. Ink. I don't know. Tosh boy, no. No, not that. <laughs> okay. Um, you look that up. The next word, or this is a phrase that you have to define, is independent group. Who Ugh. who were the independent group? Who was the independent group? Um, is this like the Salon de Independence or something? And then he just wrote it in English. What? Uh, I guess not. Oh no, no, I'm thinking of the Salon de Refuse. The independent group. I don't know. Um, the hint is that they're British. Oh, is uh, Graham Sutherland in that group? Maybe. I don't know. David Hockney? No, I think you're thinking too late. Uh, on some queefer? <laughs> no, he's German. Um, this just in the uh, Wikipedia entry for Toshism has some issues. Really? Yeah. Is that article? Uh, it's up? related to art informal or art informal or abstraction lyrique. They're like, <laughs> my, here are other art terms. My example for um, the independent group is Robbie the Robot. <laughs> Is this Robbie the robot? Is this like uh If I tell you the artist, it will give it away. That guy that I think he only did one good picture and he invented pop art. Yeah, Richard Hamilton. Yeah. 
He did a bunch of good pictures. He did the. Oh, this shit's fucking garbage. It's not garbage. It's better than uh, what's her name? That girl, that lady that does the Iraq War <laughs> collages. What? Um, Martha Rossler. Martha Rossler. He was like the good version of her. No, no. Uh, he did, didn't. I wouldn't didn't compare Richard those Hamilton two. do the Beatles Sgt. Pepper cover? No, that was Peter Blake. I believe Richard Hamilton did the White Album cover, and that was him being like, "Fuck minimalism, oi, I'm a, I'm a pop artist. Oh, well, look at me, some... I'm Donald Judd." <laughs> Donald Judd needs to be taken down a peg, so good yeah, for him. Yeah, uh, but in in yeah, but Donald Judd's a way better artist. I don't care what Hal Foster did when Richard Hamilton died, and he wrote this thing about this really stupid piece. I saw it at Tate Britain, and it fucking sucked. And Richard Hamilton, yeah, the the just what is it that makes today's home so different, so modern? Yeah, is a fucking important artwork. Yeah. in the history of art, but uh, it has in my opinion, he's like the word he's, pop in it. It has the uh, from the blow pop. Yeah. Um. But it's sort of like Buggles, and their only claim to fame is that they were the first video on MTV that was video killed the radio star, and you're like, okay, next. <laughs> like you're like yes you you fucking were given the milestone the benchmark, the paradigm shift. Um, <laughs> paradigm, God. But I just I I think of him. It's also like Damien Hurst, where he's not a great artist, but he made this one great work that I do think belongs like alongside the urinal and stuff like the and I'm talking about the shark, the physical impossibility of death in the mind of someone living. That's my brother's favorite work of art. Um. And I think overall, Damien Hirst isn't that great of an artist and so on. But that one work is that important. So that's why, like, everyone's like, Richard Hamilton, yeah. And then you just know that one collage. And then you look at the other stuff and you're like, ugh. Also, Robbie the Robot. <laughs> I don't even. I, From that 1960. Um, yes, as our uh, producers also pulled up, he also did a significant contribution in that he remade Duchamp's Large Glass, but without the cracks. <laughs> That's confusing. Yeah. Which is like, it's cool if someone young and stupid did it, but someone who's really old that's like near the end of his career and he's still trying to recapture that one thing he did that changed the history of art. <laughs> Which is like, I mean. Do you ever think you're going to do any one thing that I don't know. The Maybe of I art? made one stupid collage that, uh, that turned. Because I mean, everybody was making stupid collages. As, we've, as you mentioned, Hannah Hulk was a collagist long before. And Picasso uh, invented collages, you mentioned. Yeah, it's it's writ large. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, all the Dadaists, uh, Raoul Hausman and uh, Kurt Schwitters. Max Ernst. Yeah, much better collagists. Name a collagist. I just did. Another one? What would you call, what would you call someone that you do collages with? A colleague? Yeah, a collage <laughs> I don't know. Only time will tell. All right. Last question. This is another softball, but I think that it will probably have good convo. Oh, it's Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet. Yeah. Which cannot, by action or by cause of action, allow to harm or be harmed to harm a human. Is that the first rule of robotics? Isaac Asimov's rule of robotics? Yeah, except he calls them robots. Robots. Which are uh, mechanical frogs. (laughs) What is assemblage? Uh, assemblage, or as the French call it, the assemblage. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I guess it, you know, it just evolved out of the whole ready-made found object uh, racket. Shtick. The shtick. It's, uh, it's just a bunch of found objects taped together. Yeah. You know what a great example of assemblage is? Homer Simpson's barbecue. Yeah. You know what a great, oh shit, you know what a great example of a Rachel Harrison sculpture is? Homer Simpson's artwork. A write in on a three by five card if you know who Rachel Harrison is. <laughs> and you'll get a bona fide no prize. And if you know what a bona fide no prize is, email us at I didn't do it. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, a Homer is an a- uh, assemblage, um, which also. Can we talk about that episode yes, for a little bit? Yes, we can. So there's an episode where Homer accidentally becomes an artist and then is an outsider is, artist. Well, yeah. Like then, a mental patient or a chimpanzee. <laughs> which is true. They got that definition right. <laughs> uh, that dealer is Isabella Rosalini. <laughs> but um, there were two major things that I didn't, that I have a problem with. One, So Jasper Johns, that's fucking cool. He's on the episode, but now they'll just let anybody be on The Simpsons. I know. It was cool back then. It was cool back then. But it then didn't make any sense. It didn't because... It did not make any sense. He just steals everything. And then I went into high school and asked my AP art teacher, AP art history teacher, uh, what the fuck they were trying to say. She's like, I don't know. I, I just kept thinking, like, found objects. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but you find them. You don't steal. I'm like, is he a thief? Like, I thought this was, like, some insider joke where they're like, well, everybody knows that. Jasper Johns, Jasper Johns has kleptomania. Yeah, like and this is like maybe like because he's a starving artist, but he's no, very this, wealthy. Yeah, no. To this day, it is a joke that no one gets. I don't get it. And also, like, That's was that really pod- his voice? Like, he no, he really was the guest. And he like a- agreed to just be like, yes, I'm a kleptomaniac or something. He probably didn't understand really what was going on because you know how like. When he was 20 and making pop art in the 60s and 50, in the 50s, even the 50s. The 50s. He's old. He was like, I fucking get it. I know what's going on. But now he clearly has no idea what's going on. And by on. now you mean 10 years ago when that episode came out. 20 years ago, even. Woof. No, it wasn't that old. It was in the late 90s. Really? Yeah. We, you know what year it is? Whoa. 2015. Whoa. If man is still alive. Whoa. Um, yeah, so that was one I didn't get. I didn't I felt, get that yeah, either. Yeah, like, and then the other thing is when fucking Homer puts part of Maggie's toy and he says it's on loan from the Maggie Simpson collection. <laughs> and I was like, you don't fucking loan an artwork and stick it in another. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Said teenage Eric yelling at the television. I didn't understand or not understand, but like I couldn't believe that they would touch some like that an art preparator would touch somebody with an artwork in the way that they rub his head with the top of oh, a Oldenburg pencil. But that's such a good joke. That was when the sit man, that was seriously because they see the Matt Groening drawing in The Simpsons and he's like, what he says something like, This isn't even art or something, and then he's like, I'm being erased. And you're like, Holy shit. Wall, fourth walls have been broken. And then it turns out it's a class Oldenburg and they bumped into him. That was brilliant. I can't. I'll have to watch that episode again because I, I know it has some great art lines that are actual. Like, 
Art is like also Judaism, if I may go back to that again. No, you may not, but go ahead. No, I'm just saying, like, the episode, the Simpsons episode where Krusty gets bar mitzvahed is like a hysterical episode because all the jokes are like insider jokes about being Jewish. Whereas, like, if a non Jewish person tries to tell a joke about someone being Jewish, you're just like, ah, oh, it's like not funny, you know? And it's the same with art. Like, it, it has to be. You know, you have to know something about it yeah. for it to be no, funny. No, that's like the le- the least funny comedy is comedy by an amateur making fun of a field in which you're an expert. Yeah. You have to be an expert making fun of amateurs. That's yeah. fucking funny. So uh, the episode Mom and Pop Art uh, aired April 11th, 1999. So that was oh. 16 years ago. Wow. Uh, nine days before the Columbine shooting. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's right think they were related yeah <laughs> okay that's too dark i'm not going there actually well because i think uh dylan klebold was found with a bunch of uh missing rice krispie treats that's one of the things jasper john stole in the episode he stole a bunch of light bulbs yeah that's well that makes sense because he had a sculpture of a light bulb but i as far as i know he didn't do any sculptures or paintings or ready-mades of rice krispies <laughs> that you know of that Maybe I know. he was for Klaus Oldenburg. Maybe it was like a really deep cut. But I would also say, looking back on it, Homer ends up being a uh, social practice art making artist making relational aesthetics. Yeah. Because his final piece, he floods off Springfield like the canals in Venice, and it ends up being this and way. And releases all the zoo animals and takes all the And doormats. snorkels them. Yeah. Um, but the end result is a Henry Rousseau-like tableau uh in which everyone in springfield is happily united and they they have like a wonderful sense of community and everything so it's like everything that rick Venezia ever wanted so that's what i would say in a cartoon all right yeah. why don't you bring us home picasso baby can you hear my eyes right now they have daggers in them <sighs> is that like santa baby yeah, that's it. that's the context in which I use it. Okay. I also hate when people try to make jokes about Picasso and their only joke is that the facial features are like in messed up places. Yeah. That is the number one joke people try to make about Picasso and it is not funny. And if you make that joke again, I swear to God, comedians of the world, I will come after you and I will find you. And I will rearrange your face. Oh, God. So that's actually, I made a New Yorker style cartoon of uh, Picasso threatening someone. And then there's another guy that he's like beaten up and he's got a Picasso face. And he says something like, I'm going to rearrange your face like I did the last guy. (laughs) No, that's the joke I don't want you to make. Um, So I wrote this essay. I'm going to put your your face in a post Cuba's plane, which all of the parts of it are on the same plane. But you'll still understand it because you can only have a conception of reality as which that you understand. And it's impossible for you to uh, understand reality with different dimensions that you've never experienced. Get it? Get it? <laughs> uh, so I wrote this uh, scant five years after I wrote the uh, story about Pablo and his friend George. <laughs> oh, remind me that I have to give you this book called Bonjour Mr. Satie or whatever about a cat who stages a contest between Picasso and Matisse of who can paint a better painting. Wait, and Satie, do they play, is Eric Satie involved? 
I don't think so. The cat's name is Seti. Oh. And Gertrude Stein is in the book. Nice. And um, they do it in Ambrose Villard's studio. Jesus. It's an amazing Piling book. it on. It's an amazing Yeah, the book. cat's name is Sati because it's probably Eric Sati because mm. he's a contemporary of ours. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the, this essay goes a little something like this. Ellsworth Kelly and Piet Mondrian. Sorry. Best friends forever. <laughs> this first sentence is the, like, killer. <laughs> like, I'm laughing. I can't say it. Because I need to deliver it with a serious face. No one can see your face. This is the radio. Because <laughs> it's so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> How old were you when you wrote this? Uh, 18. Nice. Ellsworth Kelly and Piet Mondrian have bodies of work that are both extremely design-oriented. That much is clear. <laughs> That's obvious. That like, much is clear. Like, a, fa- like, a phrase it's, that it's art like historians the, avoid. It's like the, the Eric Wenzel commission report or something where it's like, there's been, like let's just clear the air. Um, I know we're all thinking it. I'm yeah, just yeah. saying it. We're going we're gonna to start from where we we're going to start on the same page. We know this. That is not in dispute. Uh, there are many similarities between them, but it is their differences which push Kelly's work beyond mere design. Differences which leave Mondrian as simply a design maker. Ugh. Yeah, this is my What my, about theosophy? Whatever. Okay, go on. Um, what a what a fee? I, it's probably one of the words in there. You don't know about theosophy? No, I do. But I think it also proposes uh, sleeping with your children until they're much older than babies in, like, naked time. Really? Isn't that correct? Yeah. And commune, living on a commune. No, that's naturist. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are the things that set these two painters so far apart? So this is my, like, my, this is... The, the title of this essay is the, I'm just thinking Ellsworth about, like, Kelly rules Piet Mondrian drools <laughs> um, but this was a, a compare and contrast essay. I was just thinking like what sets them so far apart is that like one of them is in the modern part of the museum and yeah, the other is in the, the contemporary, contemporary. Uh, I would like to start by saying that I have respect for Piet Mondrian's work like Mondrian was going to come after you yeah. if you didn't clear the just, air. Just, see, this is the Eric Wenzel Commission report. And I'm like this like senator. I'm a freshman senator. And I'm like trying to make a name by being a firebrand. But I'm also like trying to, you know, You're like no energize the base. told you that Caesar was ambitious. If it were true, it were a grievous fault. I'm trying to be the Marco Rubio of uh, comparing two abstract artists unfairly. <laughs> uh I would like to start by saying that I think I respect Mondrian's work. You think you do? No, you're right. I missed that up. Go ahead. I would like to start by saying that I have respect for Mondrian's work. I think he has done quite an interesting job with the diamond shape for a picture plane. And as that's foreshadowing because we'll get to another, or foreshortening or whatever. Uh, <laughs> okay. We'll get to another term where I actually, you're like, no, that's actually the word you should have used before. In fact, I have never seen that format used in any memorable way by anyone else. What? <laughs> God. I love that you're using your, like, I am a young, idealistic 18-year-old yeah. voice. Uh, but I'll, Really, I'll, I'll, I've never seen a diamond that looked like that. 
I was very impressed. But also that orientation of that composition, I think, only was used around that time. No, Like all the other examples like, I think of are people that are like related to Mondrian, like uh, from the Distill period. It's just like style. you are you are like so judgmental yeah. already, yeah. which I love. Like when I learn about things, I'm like, tell me all about it and I'll um, I'll listen to, you know, like what I'm supposed to think about it. And then I'll see, decide if I agree. But instead, mm. you're like, I don't know about this. Well, what already. I'm trying to say in this paragraph is like, look, I've seen a lot of square paintings hung sideways <laughs> and most of them. Don't do it for me. Actually, what I'm trying to say is I've seen those three diamond-shaped paintings in the Art Institute, two of which are done by Piet Mondrian. One is by Theo van Dosberg. And I'm like, that's art history. Uh, I've chose two specific works to compare, but I feel the observations I make apply to their whole bodies of work in general. I also picked two that I don't like, but this was back before Google image search. And so these were the two that were in the art history book that I had. And I'm like, wow. And I'm like, this is not a good Ellsworth Kelly painting, but this is the one that's in full color in the book. So that's what I'm using. That's so depressing. Yeah. Wait, what did you get on this paper? Uh, B plus a minus. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but the other thing I would say about the Google image search is there are actually a shit ton of images that aren't on there that are, are only in books because oftentimes I'll be like, I'm looking for that painting mm, that was in that book mm-hmm. and it's not online. That's true. So everyone that thinks when you Google Tracy Emin that you've seen all of her dick vagina drawings, you baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. Um, so the titles, uh, orange and green is the painting by Kelly. And composition with red, blue, and yellow is Mondrian's. And I would give myself an F now because I put in an Oxford comma and I also didn't capitalize. <laughs> I know your feelings about the Oxford comma. I didn't capitalize yellow, but I capitalized red and blue. So I don't know what that says. Um, you got a little bit tired. From the start, one notices the similarity in titles. Both are dis- nondescript assessments of what appears on the respective canvases. Mm-hmm. All right, this part's going to... Uh, make you giggle like a ticklish cat in a feather factory. (laughs) (laughs) You might go to a retrospective of conceptual art and see these titles written on a blank wall. (laughs) Oh, you did. I did it. I went there. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And get a pretty good mental image of these paintings. I, should I have like flight lift like I'm a you know no you should you should make that a show you just like, write just two them. walls one just says green and orange and the other one says yeah composition etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah man I can see it now fucking I love vinyl wall text let I me tell know. you vinyl wall text is the new painting it would have to be black though oh yeah well fucking without a doubt in a some sort of sans serif <gasps> font if it was gray though no, that's too representation. That's too art. That's too uh, graphic. Okay. Uh, it's too. It's too illusory. Mm-hmm. I would say. How mm-hmm. come that word's not on your test? What is the illusory? What does the illusory tell us about the world around us? <laughs> it's an illusion. Uh, from the logical beginning, subtle differences <laughs> begin to appear. Kelly's title is more simple. Mondrian's includes the word composition, which is rather redundant. This author thinks. <laughs> this reporter thinks. 
Montreon is probably the one who started this style of titling, but I find it extremely annoying to include this word. I am, perhaps, beginning by splitting hairs, but it is such subtleties that will balloon into more significant ones, which will clearly set Kelly ahead. Well, this is a... I should have sent this to the New Yorker. Oh, my God. I am, uh, I feel like I'm trying to be persuaded about something. This is the convincing essay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a major issue between the two of them is line. In composition with red, blue, and yellow, Mondrian portions off area of the picture plane with thick, uniform black lines. You idiot. The no. lines are sh- their own shape. Yeah, but honestly, this is the thing that I'm like, why I don't like Mondrian as much as Kelly. But dude, this shit's gonna blow your mind. It's gonna. This is like gonna be a major. This is a callback I did, fifteen or how many ever years ago before our episode last week, which is the elements and principles. Okay. So get just fucking ready. It's like, uh, compositionally speaking, the arrangement of lines is quite good, but I find it dull. All the lines are perfectly straight and are all at right angles. This makes it by the books. Uh, or this makes the by the books drawing extremely dull and boring. He does have variation with slightly thicker line in the middle left, but it hardly creates a sense of variety. And I'm like, wasn't even trying to put all the elements and principles in. I was reading this this morning. I was like, holy fuck, I did it. I'm like, they got through to me. Jeez. <laughs> uh, Kelly's work has no lines in the sense of contour. But the edges where the orange form ends and the green begins are lines. I can't believe I, I'm like, I did They're what I was. They're implied lines. Yes. No, no, they are not implied lines. They're, they're, they're the, uh, the line that's the edge of a shape or form. Got it. I, I was like, holy cow. I, like you were saying where you're like, I didn't even realize I was putting these words. Yeah. Like having trying to, to get people to learn these concepts. I was like, wow. You that teacher, it. that church, that teacher from high school can like die happy because he got through to at least one kid. Um, it's just so I'm just like still so perplexed by this paper because I guess the way I learn art history is like. This is something important. Here are the reasons why it's important. So well, like I an- learned about Richard mm-hmm. Hamilton and I have never really even ever thought of whether or not I think that that work is good compared to other works of collage or other works of pop art because I just know how important it is. So I've never, I've never made any kind of judgment call on Mondrian because I just am focused on understanding why it was made the way it was made. Right. Well, this was, this was an essay writing class. So it was like uh, a compare and contrast or a better than the other one. And so people could have pictured someone wrote, I think like why dogs or cats are better than dogs or cats. Mm. Things like that. And so I and you people could have picked anything and I was like and I was like fuck Mondrian Ellsworth Kelly. Cuz I also wanted to do it because I'm like people are like how can you like say one's better than the other they're you know like they were like just they're like why would you colors. have those two fight? They're like friends and I was like no, fuck them. One's good. Also like how much do you think the teacher knew about art? Not much. He was a beatnik. So do you think he had to, like, look up in a book? Well, no, that's why there's parts where I'm, like, writing about paintings the way you write about paintings, and he just circles it and says, what? Um, besides line, oh, wait, yeah, uh, he combines straight and curved and delineates an actual form as opposed to Mondrian, who uses line to divide space, which I agree with. Um, Except that the form, the 
for Mondrian, the black part is the is also a form. Yeah, no, that's you're also correct. Uh, I don't know. Can we both be correct? Yes. Isn't on. that what? Isn't that really what art's trying to say? Yeah. There's two kinds of art. There's positive utopian modernist art that says, "Can we both be correct?" And then there's evil postmodern art that says, "Neither of us are correct." <laughs> Uh, besides line, form is very important to me when regarding a work. Uh, Mondrian had a very abstract approach to his forms, for they are not forms, but form itself. I don't know what I'm saying here. Very philosophical. Uh, his divisions created by black lines become the form. So I guess that's what you're saying. Yeah. Because the form, the, the black lines are a form itself. That's what you were saying. Right. And that's what I was trying to say. There are indivi- They are individual shapes rectangles and squares it's about the arrangement of these spaces or the division rather as i see it he began with a blank plane or the composition a square say well let me finish i'm getting somewhere okay a single form drawing lines across it he divided it thus creating new forms back reference Um, (laughs) at the same time these forms are really just the form the flat plane of the canvas itself looking at this work i see mondrian's concept of form not specific forms. He seems to be saying that this painting is an example of his concept of form. Not, quote, here are square-shaped forms artfully placed on my canvas, end quote. <laughs> what if he had said that? <laughs> While the square shapes come... <laughs> I want to make a painting and title it, here are some square-shaped forms placed on my canvas. Do you like it? How'd I do? <laughs> That'll be the second. Okay, so one room of this exhibition will have a wall, some wall vinyls that say. One just says orange and green, and the other wall says composition, composition with blah, blah, and blah. And that's the other thing that annoyed me that I didn't put in here is how come he never says black lines and white things? Oh, Because the composition no, no, is mostly I, black and black lines, white, and then there's like one square painted red, one square painted yellow, and so on. No, but I know. Yeah. But the lines are like, like zips. Like, yeah. Anyway. But why didn't that make it to the title? Like that got cut. Well, anyway, like the, the original title, title was like composition title, with black lines, white, and then these three colors. That's true. That's very true. Um, but anyway, the title of the exhibition in which there's just two walls with the vinyl yeah. lettering is here are some, <laughs> here are some squares I put on my canvas or whatever for you to come and look at. <laughs> Uh, That's the title of the exhibition. While the square shapes come into play a bit, it is primarily the former. That was also around the time I learned that there's not just the latter, there's also that there's former. Everyone knows the latter. Like, you learn that in high school, but when you get to college, people start saying the former. Ooh. The former. It's not just the latter. Uh, in In the case of orange and green, Ellsworth Kelly is dealing with the concept of form. It was on a specific form that he focuses our attention. The orange form in the shape of a lozenge. That is incorrect. Because uh, it's correct in the sense that the orange shape looks like a throat lozenge, which I assume <laughs> they meant. But when you use, when you, in art history and I guess other places, when you hear the term lozenge, it means the diamond-shaped square. Mm-hmm. So I was incorrect. Um, I should have said that Mondrian has done... Of all the diamond-shaped lozenge paintings, he's done the most interesting thing. Uh-huh. So this would be a, a rounded rectangle or an ovoid, ovular moment. Uh, 
Search the canvas. Kelly focuses our attention on it. He's not divided the space. He has created it. I love sayings like that. By having a single form taking up the entire bottom portion of the canvas, Kelly focuses our attention on it. He has not divided the space. Nay, he has created it. The lozenge, a.k.a. Ovoid, ov ovoil, seems more individual of its surroundings. He understand, underlined that and said, awkward. <laughs> awkward. He has placed its curved corners at direct opposition to the sharp angles of the painting surface. So if uh, this is the reporter moment. So if you're looking at this painting, it's a, a portrait-oriented green rectangle. And then the bottom portion has an orange oval shape that's touching all the edges. So like the edge of the form at certain points is that uh, difference between orange and green. But then there's other edges of the form that are literally the edge of the canvas. Mm. So then when it curves, it emphasizes the squareness of the canvas and the roundness of the form. Is Ellsworth Kelly a hard edge painting? Yeah. Yeah, I would say look at this today. I have more respect for Ellsworth Kelly or more respect for Piet Mondrian and less for Ellsworth Kelly. <laughs> but I still like Ellsworth Kelly a little bit more. Like, I love Piet Mondrian a lot more than I did when I wrote this paper. <laughs> uh, but I still but like... But I just think the reason you're having trouble comparing them is because Mondrian is not trying to not make a painting. But I think in some ways, Ellsworth Kelly or like the concept of hard edge painting is trying to make a painting that's sculptural. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, I think Kelly will always be firmly rooted as a painter, though. Yeah, I don't... even his paintings that are, like, two well, canvases that are, like, reliefs are very mm. painterly still. And actually, I would say... I don't know. I can actually, think of some dude. Ellsworth Kellys that are pretty sculptural. I do yeah. think he... I mean, he's a painter, but... Right. Bringing this full circle, I think the reason why I don't like the Ellsworth Kellys now is that they're too fucking designy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is my was my complaint against Mondrian. Um, oh, this... Okay. Mondrian's forms are delineated and governed by the, the canvas's form. Kelly has placed his within the canvas, but it's not as controlled. And that's where he circled and wrote, what? And I'm like, what do you mean, what? Like, <laughs> I feel like that totally, like, if you're writing about art, that makes sense. Does that make sense? Say it one more time. Mondrian's forms are delineated and governed by the canvas's form. Kelly has placed his within the canvas, but it's not as controlled. Kind of. Which I actually disagree with yeah, myself. Yeah, that's the opposite because it's obviously bound by the canvas because... Right, because it's touching the edges. But I think... Right, because the, 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 the boundary of the canvas is the end of the work. That's right. what he's saying. But, no, he just was like, what? No, that's what Ellsworth Kelly is saying, oh, that yeah. the boundary of the canvas is the end right. of the work. So I disagree with myself, but I still agree with myself in that those sentences do make sense in writing about art. I just have a different opinion now. <laughs> Uh, I've touched on this briefly just now, but it is important to go further in examination. Mondrian How has much a, further? We're getting there. It's late at night, dude. I know. Hey, it cooled off though. It did. Oh, this is where I just keep like I just keep saying the word design. Like I just like like I can't think of another design, expletive. Design, design, yeah, design, I'm like design. it's just it's just nothing more than design. It's basically a trapper keeper. Ooh. I mean, uh, color is a major part of these works. We'll both use intense, saturated colors. Ellsworth Kelly's piece is more about color or shows off color more than yeah, Mondrian. I know. I'm like, I want to argue with 18-year-old Eric so much, but it's like so unfair. It doesn't make sense. But the the color choices in Mondrian are like extremely deliberate. But he only used primary colors. He'd never used green. 
Right, because they're secondary, secondary color. color. Uh, but he would no, only but use I mean, red, like, yellow, and blue. And I think that's another reason why I was bored off my ass looking at those. Like Right, again. but that's because he thought he saw those as having relationships to the spiritual world. Yeah. And being representational of different kind of like spiritual feelings or concepts. So yeah, but not they're arbitrary. fucking boring paintings. So that, like, means, that means they're like beyond, they're not designy. No, they are designing because I mean, they are designing, but like it, he, he wasn't just he like, man, this fucking green looks so green. I'm gonna green it up all over. And but he limited himself to three colors, black and white, right? And all hard lines, right? I just I not at every phase of his career, but he like painted so many trees that he was like. Fuck this. It just you know, he kept doing those. That was the other thing that I, I love also, those actually. No, those are really good paintings. But I also like I thought another reason that it was like Mondrian's a bad guy is that he kept painting those to make money Aww. to support himself. Poo. The other thing I, I read is that he was constantly rearranging his studio and like redesigning it, like like interior designing it. And so he hardly ever finished any paintings because he was like obsessed with trying to get his studio set up just right. Duh. So that's why there's like so few Piet Mondrian's. Um, yeah, that's pretty rough. But I would say, I mean, I would say uh, unequivocally, this much is clear. Kelly is much more of a colorist, though. His work is much more about color and yeah. the perception of color and our experience of color than right. uh, Mondrian's is. Uh, oh, this is a great phrase, though. This is this is where I'm like, Eric's going to be a good art writer. I mean, I was pretty <laughs> impressed with my your own horn. No, but I was. I mean, when I went to read when I went to read this, I was like, "This is going to be a funny, stupid." Because I remember writing that paper. I'm like, "This is going to be hilarious," and I was like, "Whoa!" I actually like made a good argument. Like, I I impressed myself because I thought it would be a lot stupider, a lot more stupider. Um, color is a major part of both of these works. While both use intense, saturated colors, Ellsworth Kelly's piece is more about color or shows off color more than Mondrian's does. Mondrian has compartmentalized his colors in little prison cells. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That is pretty accurate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that I'm, good. you know, I'm going around. Oh, it's a very designy piece in the end. So I'm. So take us home. Uh, these two may end up right next to one another in the whole categorization categorization of art but to me they are worlds Color apart fields. well yeah. neither of them are well yeah no um i've tried to present critical data as to why Ellsworth <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> you said bring it so home it's science <laughs> yeah thusly this a much plus is clear. b equals green <laughs> orange uh i've tried to present critical data as to why Ellsworth kelly has Not worked just my opinion yeah <laughs> data has worked as you can see these squares yeah. are much more in a prison than these squares <laughs> therefore these squares are much more liberated this these this orange rounded square clearly has much higher quality of life it it reproduces 10 times faster with uh okay anyway i've tried to present critical data as to why ellsworth kelly has work that goes beyond design but the best explanation is inexplicable when I see a Piet Mondrian, I feel nothing. With Ellsworth Kelly, there is something. His work creates a sense of joy and beauty through the use of color and minimal elements. This is something Piet Mondrian can't do while living. Can't. In, 
while living in the world of pure design. You emotion are, is one of the most oh important things in art. If a work of art cannot evoke some kind of emotion, then it is pure design. <laughs> wow! What about Zoom? I know. Well, but see, to me, that's emotion. See, that's see yeah. that, that's the enigma is that I like. But it's I love like that Malevich like, is so unemotional. Like to me, that like brings out a lot of emotion in me. Like it brings well, out all the like, like on Kawara maybe. Yeah, on Kawara gives me like a huge art boner. <laughs> like like I that love that is work. An emotion. Yeah. I literally cried in Kawara. Yeah. So so that I mean that that to me that that so that shit's moving you. Yeah. That's that's fucking hitting the X factor. But like one of the guards at the MCA told me that people were crying in David Bowie and I laughed. Oh, well that's because those people are peasants. <laughs> Um, wow. Where they're You're like, like, this is my opinion. I don't feel anything. Therefore, it is not, it is of no worth. No one could ever feel anything about it. And it is unfeeling and it should never have been made. And it might as well be. I didn't say that. A t-shirt. It is, I mean, it is too often did. that we hold specific distinctions between, it is too often we hold, between two similar things, refusing to spend time to figure out why we feel that way. Looking at these things objectively and analytically as well as intuitively and emotionally can offer deep insight into the nature of our opinions and why things appear to us the way they do. I think that's good. That's good. So basically that's I was ending. trying to You're like so but I feel that way and maybe I feel that way because of these various logical things that I have thought out and laid out in this particular yeah. essay. Um, so I was trying to analytically and sort of emotionally or opinion like to want you know once say like i'm going to try to formally pick one apart over the other but like and then so in the end, many just be people like it's think that do not feel anything when they look at an ellsworth kelly like yours truly for example if i'm being 100 percent honest here but you like a real, mondrian i would prefer mondrian over an ellsworth kelly at least then there's like multiple shapes to look at no, there's not. There's a, there's there's well, way more there's shapes in Ellsworth shaped Kelly. Sh- there's differently no, you shaped can't argue, squares. You can't argue that. There's way more shapes in Ellsworth Kelly. There's way more shapes <laughs> in Ellsworth Kelly. My shapes are better than your shapes. Um. So let's agree to disagree. Agreed. She's a little bit. She's a little bit Mondrian. I don't know. We'll think of something El- uh, Ellsworth Kelly like. Uh, Siskel and Ebert. I give it um, two squares so, Two sideways. squares sideways. <laughs> and All that's right. a wrap. Um, thank you for listening to I Don't Hate This. Thanks for um, staying after class. Yeah. For if you um, need help cramming for a session, you can email us at I Don't Hate This at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at I Don't Hate This. You can follow our Tumblr where we'll put some pictures up eventually. Um, I don't hate this pod.tumblr.com. Um, and thank you for remembering all those things. Please remember, and it's all I don't hate this. How could you ever forget? Um, please remember to rate and subscribe review. and review us on iTunes if you like what you hear. If you don't like your hear what you hear, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really no thought you were gonna say. Please remember, these are just our opinions. These are just our <laughs> opinions. Okay, obviously is a word that art historians yeah. avoid. All right. That much is clear. That much is clear. So, bye. Thanks and amen.
Never called an asshole